Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR and Uprise Radio are produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We recognise that sovereignty was never ceded and stand in solidarity with all people resisting the settler colonial state. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Good afternoon, you are tuned to 3CR and listening to Uprise Radio. My name is Jackson and I'm here with James. Unfortunately, Mercedes can't be with us this afternoon, uh, but I'm sure she'll be back with us really soon. The international press has been reporting with some alarm this past week of a potential war in Europe in what would be the first major conflict there since the Balkans conflict of the 1990s. Key to this tension is Ukraine, an independent country since 1991, and before that, known as the breadbasket of the USSR. It's a large country, rich in arable land, natural resources, and with critical strategic access to the Mediterranean. Perhaps less so since the annexation of Crimea. So the key, key players in the stout are Russia, who have amassed uh, reportedly tens of thousands, perhaps 100,000 troops on Ukraine's southern border. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is led by the superpower USA, and Ukraine itself. Now, the issue is complicated and many pundits seem unable to reach a conclusion on just how it will play out. So to help us understand on Uprise Radio exactly what the standoff means and what perhaps an adequate leftist or progressive response would be, we're joined today by Professor Timothy Lynch, a professor of American politics at the University of Melbourne. Uh, Tim, thanks for joining us. Jackson, it's, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So perhaps um, just to give some background to begin, uh, NATO and Ukraine's possible admission into that alliance seems very essential to this possible conflict. Why are Russia so afraid of Ukraine joining NATO? And why is NATO so reluctant to grant Ukraine membership? Depending on where you start in Russian history, there is a strong tradition of the fear not just of encirclement, I mean, it's a huge nation, so it has more land borders uh, than any other nation, more than, even than China. Um, and across history, it's been vulnerable to not just encirclement, but to invasion 
from neighbours that either don't quite trust it or covet the huge uh, living space, true of the, the Nazis in 1941, who covered the huge living space that the that Russia as, and then as was the Soviet Union represents. So when you look at Russia on a map, it, it seems almost the definition of an empire. It's several time zones. It's the largest country in the world. But I'd, I'd ask, ask you to consider that this gives it a certain profound vulnerability and it and it's and it manifests itself i think in terms of a psychosis about the nature of threat um paranoia is a strong word and it's a medical word and i think it gets banded about too much but i think there is a case that its vulnerability as it has made it more vulnerable to threats than actually might be the case but there is also i think jackson a pretty good history, and Yeltsin is very good at articulating this, of actual physical kinetic invasion from the West, sometimes go back centuries from, from the East, uh, which may, means Russia has to be on guard. Now, NATO, to get to the terms of your question, represents that new challenge. Uh, NATO is an aggressive alliance, according to, uh, to Putin's definition. Uh, it's, it's run by the United States that beat the country that he was trained and had his loyalty to, the, the Soviet Union. And it's shown, again, if you're Putin, I think there's some case, he, I mean, I don't think he's completely right, but I don't think he's completely wrong, wrong either, that since the end of the Cold War, that great humiliation for the Soviet Union, a humiliation which has been imbibed by much of the Russian establishment, uh, NATO didn't say, oh, OK, it's fine, we don't see a reason to exist. They actually kept pushing. And all those satellite states, the colonies of the old Soviet Union, were absorbed by by NATO. And Putin, well, not, not all, there's still a few. Well, so, sorry, there, several, some of, some of mm. the, the key ones that suffered under the, uh, the, uh, the yoke of the Soviet Union, rushed as soon as they were able to join NATO and Putin has never quite forgiven them. It comes to the crunch with Ukraine uh, in a way it doesn't for Poland and, and Hungary and the Czech Republic because uh, Russia under under um, under Putin sees not much distinction between Ukraine and Russia. They are one people, one land, one polity. Uh, and how dare NATO? I mean, symbolism matters, I think, in international relations more than we're prepared to admit it's not not all law and and, and technocracy hmm. there's something symbolic something vital something visceral about the connection that russia hmm. has to ukraine and something historical too i suppose like even yes and it, the it, creation it, 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 of the ussr yeah. you go back to the romanovs you know this is a, i mean i heard it said once and I, I don't know if it's apocryphal that ukraine actually means border in, in russian uh that 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 may be wrong perhaps yes you correct I, me. Uh, I think that's right. At, at the birth of the Soviet of the Soviet Union, or the, at the Russian Revolution, there was the first real conflict was a war between Ukraine and Russia, uh, and Ukraine's defeat or the white Ukrainian defeat led to its uh, its being subsumed within uh, the I USSR. See. So they were loyalists to, to the Romanovs. They didn't so want they, to take part they, in the uh, yes. In some ways, in, Ukraine in is, it, it, Ukraine has had its civil war in the same way that Russia had its. 
so they're intimately connected Japan, and yet Japan with, with a fierce just... sense of their own independence and that 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 it, therein lies part of the issue that we're dealing with but this is like oh, that is often like um that's really you know it's often said about these states that they fiercely desire their independence but even in that example you just gave there like ukraine wasn't fighting for independence it was fighting for a a fallen empire you know that, that it was a part of for a long time this idea of an independent ukraine is quite a quite a recent idea as well and i and i and i wonder too about you know i guess like my concern right now with with global affairs is that the symbolism seems to be moving more and more to, towards ac actual conflicts and i guess the annexation of Crimea is a good example of that. But I also think that, you know, if we look at American leadership, you know, so-called leadership, you know, and, the, and their, uh, you know, their, um, their securing of their rules-based order has really, you know, seen them act or interfere in other countries unilaterally, you know, whether it's the form of, you know, espionage that foments unrest or, you know, really draconian economic sanctions, which largely impact citizens innocent innocent of you know whatever crimes the US has decided that their state ha has committed against this rules-based order so even invasion you know we've seen unilateral invasion in in the 21st century by, by the US and, and its allies without you know the, the world approving it so I, I feel like you know we could simultaneously say like Putin doesn't seem like yeah a model citizen you know by any stretch of the imagination and and the you know, the political organization in Russia right now, you know, is a, is a long way from a, a progressive ideal or a leftist ideal, yeah. but equally US leadership, you know, is belligerent and dangerous. So, so, so surely Russia has, you know, good reason to, to fear American leadership in Europe as do other European countries. Yes. Well, I agree with, with some of that and I dis disagree with others. I think the, the problem is, Jackson, with all respect, is it, it relies on something of a caricature of US power over the last 30 years. I think America has a more studied record of abandoning friends and allies than it has of this aggression, aggressive expansionism. It invades countries and the first thing it looks to do is to get the heck out of Dodge. So I think in some ways what the left big complicated thing. The left's expectations of the United States is always defied by its actual behavior. That this is a nation, an ideological experiment born against empire. Doesn't do empire, doesn't do it very well. And the occasions when it has, Germany and Japan, are the exceptions. It's got a much longer history. The Philippines. Yes, I, I, I all of its I, I, Pacific, yeah, Pacific states and yes, Central I mean, American I, I, states. I mean, the idea that it isn't an empire is very debatable. Well, I, I think it's an empire by default. I mean, it's not to to evade blame for for imperfections and iniquities and and uh, everything else that goes up with, is wrapped up with the leftist critique of U.S. power, but it's not self consciously imperial, um, and it suffers more, I think, from trying to withdraw <laughs> its power commitments than it does from actually making them in the first place. Whereas the, so the Soviet Union and now Russia faces the alternative problem that it's seen as, uh, in, 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 as expansionist, it's seen as reactive, and it's seen as being engaged in a product of the recreation of empire. So you, I think there are two, there are misconceptions of the two sides we're dealing with here. Hmm. But I then, wonder, you know, um, 
if we talked a little bit before about NATO and its kind of role in, I guess, you know, helping to solidify Russia's, um, you know, position that it's sort of, you know, us against the world kind of mentality in some ways. I wonder if you could maybe expand on that a little bit to think about some of the other kind of military alliances, you know, the Quad, Five Eyes Security, and, you know, more recently we've got the AUKUS Alliance in Australia with between the UK, US and Australia. And, you know, I guess seemingly that may not have a direct connection with what's happening in the Ukraine. But I think if, you know, what is missing, you know, if you think about the kind of great power relations is China, Russia, you know, they're the mm. ones that are missing out from all of these military alliances. You know, I guess I wonder, Tim, what do you think the role of, you know, deliberate exclusion from these kind of alliances has in, you know, perhaps kind of proxy wars in places like the Ukraine or in other places? It's a very good question, James. And it, it, uh, it's one of the questions I think that's very current in international relations at the moment is, is why uh, do alliances of democracies tend to cohere and over the long term realise more success than attempts at alliance by autocracies or, or bad states? Um, and I think it's very hard to get away from the fact that democracies, though they're highly imperfect, embody levels of trust and empathy as well as shared values and economic connections that autocracies just don't that autocracies instinctively distrust other autocracies because they know what they're like so i think the, the example you mentioned we've not mentioned it yet of course is china and china it gets into a terrible uh state of dislocation and anger because it's not been able to build the kinds of alliances based on shared civilizational values, however you want to package it, that the United States has. That most of the states that border China and in our region, in Australia's region, queue up to join American-led alliances, in part not because America is good and stands for human rights and everything else, but because they're scared of China. And I think the same holds true for for Russia stroke the Soviet Union, that its alliances were forced on its members. I mean, you're in the Warsaw Pact, not through through a, 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 an act of democratic uh, validation or, or voting. You're in it because the powerful guys in the Kremlin said you were going to be in it. And that problem, I think, still obtains for, for, for Putin and for Xi Jinping, that they, they have transactional alliances they can, they can rent friends. They can't fully buy them in a way that the United States has been able to. But historically, the United States has been very willing to work to remove democratically elected governments when they elect governments that don't align with US values. Like, I'm not sure you can paint the US as this, you know, um, you know kind of you know, muddle-headed, you know, kind uncle who just maybe occasionally makes a mistake. Like, they've been ruthless in Nicaragua, in Peru, in Iran, you know, like even, the, the, you know, and, and you talk about their alliances with democratic states. What about their alliances with Saudi Arabia? Like, oh, I, yes. It's, I, a, it's a very good point. I mean, I, my, my argument would not be a, a defence of the perfections of American power, but to recognise it's a state like many others. Um, and it... It, 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 it makes mistakes, it uh, can behave undemocratically, but it is, I think, always brought back to the fact that it's, it's founded on some notion of uh, limited government. 
Uh, it's founded on a, no an, on a notion that, that rights are something that are unalienable to human beings. They're not something that's given by the state. So there is a kind of elasticity. It makes mistakes, but it gets snapped back into this position. Now, I, I agree with you. It's, it's capable of tremendous uh, uh, neglect, omission, uh, atrocity. I mean, you choose your label. But I think in some ways, and I started with this, and I'll stick with it, the, the problem is not the use of American power. It's its withdrawal. It's the sins of omission. Mm. I think this, the it's state of Afghanistan case. now yeah, is far more severe. The, the catastrophe, which is Kabul, is a product of America withdrawing its power, not mm. using it. Well, uh, it's a product of both, isn't it? I mean, Kabul, the, the idea that you can, you know, peacekeep your way to a, you know, a, a liberal democracy or an American idea of one, uh, it you know, seems pretty idealistic. And, and what's and, the know, alternative? People, people often write, well, I, I suppose the alternative is to, you know, allow countries to write their own history in the way that the US fought for as well. And, and when, when a nation begins on a path that is um, unsatisfactory to your foreign, you know, I, I guess, I guess the imbalance is American power, as you've said, because America feels like it can and it will intervene when a nation is, you know, tread, you know, look at the relationship with NASA's Egypt or, you know, as I already said, Iran, like the, the US will work to stymie the natural progress of countries where the progress is not going along the lines that, you know, fit US foreign policy. Like the, the CIA has, you know, has, has regularly been deployed to, uh, uh, I suppose, protect American economic interests uh, more than any kind of or, 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 and presenting those economic interests as, as national security. I think as well, like this idea about, you know, China has been, you know, been able to, to buy friends, but has una been unable to build any alliances. Like, I'm not sure on the difference between, you know, apart from the post-war contacts between the, the Belt and Road Initiative and the Marshall Plan. Like, if you're in a strong economic position and you offer good terms to developing or countries that, that are looking for, you know, external investment, like, surely that's, China playing well within uh, the the rules the rules based order, so I think we need to. I just feel like we need to acknowledge that, despite China's efforts uh, in recent years to become, as you say, a more active global citizen and to become a global leader, I would say that it's it's almost like um, you know, there's American recalcitrance based on their own, you know, with, withering democracy. You could say. Mm. you know, over the last five years, you know, like we, mm. we, we can't look at the US and pretend that they're a healthy functioning democracy. They just had a sitting president contest, uh, contest the results of an election and mm. encourage his followers to storm the Capitol. And this mm. idea of, you know, I think we need to look no further than Washington to see that America fancies itself an empire. I mean, mm. they, they built the town to reflect the Romans. Like it's, like you said, these are characterizations as well. This idea of the, um, you know, the unwilling empire, and you know, like, uh, yeah, I feel like it's just as much of a characterization as as, as belligerent. Mm. Yes. It, uh, again, I, I I share some of that, and I suppose I go back to the insistence that the United States is a a nation state with its own set of national interests. Mm. I would just argue that they tended to to better intersect with some of the larger causes that have faced mankind over the last hundred years than they have not. So the fact that the Marshall Plan helps rebuild Europe 
um, I think even though it answers American economic interests is a good thing. And I don't think, even though China is trying hard, we've seen an equivalent. Um, Africa might be a very good test case where it's, mm. it's interested in, in resource expropriation, paying for, for fossil, fossil fuels. But is it engaged in anything, any civil, civilizational miss, mission? Is it, is it a colonial power there in a way that the West well, disastrously the was? And I think yeah. the, the answer is, 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 is no. Well, you could say that they have successfully guess, um, pulled, you know, tens of millions of people out of poverty in the last 50 years. They've been by far the most successful economy in, yes, in the oh, world. What, what, and I what, think they want to share some of that that's, um, yes, with I other mean, nations. I, I, and this idea of fearing China, like I'm yet to see them invade another country. So yes, it's, that's a very good point. I think um, point. To, to bring it back to the Ukraine, and I guess thinking about that in the context of, um, you know, what we're discussing about, the US's involvement, uh, you know, in expanding to, you know, I guess really, you know, like Tim, you said that there's a tendency to go in and then cause chaos and to go out. And I mean, I think that that is not an accident. I mean, it's a deliberate, you know, causing unrest, particularly in the Middle East has been strategically important for the US in terms of um, militarily to be able to continue, um, you know, expanding and spending so much on, on military as well. But what what you know? What do you think about a response could be? You know, we've seen the Australian government so far say that you know they don't intend on interfering in the Ukraine. You know, the Russia is going to continue to, um, you know, the conflict there. What do you think should be a response from, um, you know, Western countries like Australia or the US? Well, I think the the, the response will be the response we've seen when Russia has uh, invaded its neighbours previously, and the most obvious examples of this, I mean, lots of Cold War examples, of course, but the same logic holds, that the West recognises this is Russia's backyard. It doesn't have the capacity to act uh, given that those theatre constraints, and it will complain, it will lobby, but ultimately it will wait for Putin to solve it for them, to either withdraw, as the case in Georgia, or to achieve some sort of stability as he achieved in Crimea. So I, I don't think what we've got here is some hot war where America is so invested in the defense of Ukrainian rights that if the boys and girls from, from Wyoming and Texas are suddenly going to start dying in the Donbass, I do think America will apply as much pressure, but much well short of actual violent conflict to try and pressure Putin to uh, to compromise on his territorial demands. The West has always done this. This is not new. You go back to Munich um, when the Soviet Union invades Hungary in 56. There's complaint from the Eisenhower administration. There's no action. Uh, same is true of Czechoslovakia in, in, in 68. It's there zone. And there is a strong body of opinion, I think, in the United States, a realist understanding. I'd ask you to consider the work of realists like Stephen Wolf, very clear line on this, W-A-L-T, who says that the West really needs to leave alone here. It's created this crisis through its own ideological emboldenment, this notion that European Union cosmopolitanism is a, is a, is a universal gift and then even Russia will like it. 
Um, and that's just a fantasy. Russia, with a very able, cunning leader, is articulating national interests that it's had for millennia. And Ukraine is particularly a strong example of that, given the connections of both of those regimes. And the West better be cognizant of that. I think we were speaking uh, off air before about, you know, how in more recent times, the media really portrays Europe as being this kind of one nation, you know, under God, as it were, where everyone is, you know, as you said, sort of living this cosmopolitan lifestyle, believes in the same kind of things. And all of a sudden, you know, UK doesn't want to be a part of this, but, you know, mm. it's a, it's become this really, yes. you know, I mean, we could simplify things to say, you know, the media has become, you know, quite dumbed down in a lot of ways, but it's a really lacks a huge understanding of, you know, all of the different kind of um, players and, yeah. and their history and everything throughout Europe. But I guess yeah. particularly, you know, you mentioned a lot of uh, nations already through that region of, you know, Austria, Hungary, Slovakia, you know, they've really been um, in sometimes, you know, well, Austria and Hungary have been, um, you know, leading empires of, of Europe at particular times in history, but they've also been playgrounds for, um, you know, other European powers of Russia. And, and so, you know, this is nothing new necessarily for, some of the people there, you know, older folks in the, some of these um, states may be able to really recall, you know, different decades of, of different rule from yeah. different European nations. But, you know, what do you think for the people of Ukraine? What are they thinking at the moment? You know, how can we get into their kind of minds of what, how they might view what's happening at the moment? Well, I, I, I think if you took the... the the polling evidence or the the demographic evidence the it's eight to two in terms of those who have a pro eu pro us orientation and and two 20 percent one in five that think the connection with russia needs to be reaffirmed now is i suppose in any healthy nation state that you would come to a compromise the problem ukraine has it has this enormous power well armed apparently belligerent uh with with a strong national ethnic connection to it policing the decisions it might make it did this in 2004 certainly did in 2014. uh i suppose my, my pessimism here is that i think fundamentally it's something that russia will resolve because russia is the large power in this and that for the reasons you mentioned jane james the the fracturing of nato is is replicating the fracturing of the european union that there is no EU foreign policy. We've already seen Germany walk away from any notion of, of conflict. I mean, I, it sent helmets to Ukraine with, with the spike on the inside, to paraphrase a, a, a Blackadder gag. Whereas France, who has, we haven't talked about energy independence, but France that has a far higher level of energy independence has taken a much fuller, firmer line against, against Putin. Uh, and this, and we can magnify this. Uh, I think extrapolate and expand this to the to the US. The US is riven, and there are at least two sides of politics who don't see eye to eye on a number of issues, not least what American foreign policy should be. So, do you, do you take a totally cynical view of Germany's position that if you have a crisis area, you shouldn't sell arms to it? Oh, it's like, it's like oh, what do I think about Germany? I, I think Germany. Is a, is a very interesting blend of both pragmatism, because it knows where its energy supplies come from, 
and ideology. I mean, it's it's been a rigid, uh, not ruthless, but a, a, a key champion of the notion of internationalism, of of of, of pacifism. I mean, it's written into its constitution, mm. um, and how it 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 has that that balancing act. I think responding to its own security needs as well as maintaining this this role that it's played for for seventy years, which and is surely a, that's inspiring. Like they've been able to grow their economy, become an economic leader in Europe while being committed to yes, yeah, so you know, while being I, I, and the, it, their people live wonderful lives. Like I just I don't see yes. why um, they can't be more of an example for global leadership. You know, yes. I, I just I think we keep coming back to this. Like what is different, I suppose, about right now as opposed to the the previous. Um, uh, incursions in Europe is in response to this amassing of troops and NATO's comment. Well, not in response, but a lot, you know, happening alongside is is China and Russia and Iran doing major naval war games in the Arabian Sea. You know, like and to me, their their um, common ground as nations, as you know, cultural entities, seems to be based on nothing more than fear of U.S. containment, and the U.S. Mm. is working actively mainly through, you know, the deployment of sanctions and diplomatic um, means at this time and also uh, intelligence gathering uh, and, you know, to stop these countries' development, to stop them um, growing their economies. Just, this, this is part of US policy and surely it is pushing these nations together, having them expand their militaries. Like we can't ignore how strong the military industrial lobby in the United States is. Like, this is a country that's been, you know, at war in one form or another since the end of World War Two. Yes, there's a, a lot in that question. So uh, on the on the German side, I think, well, it, of course, it's up to the Germans to decide where their national interests lie. They've never been the great proponent of uh, of military interventionism. Uh, if you look at the former Yugoslavia, it was Germany and its recognition of, of, of Croatia, which catalyzed that war. And then Germany led efforts to make sure that there was no European intervention. It was American power that brought uh, those, those three sides to the table. So uh, by all means, invest your faith in, in, in German power. I just don't think Germans have much of an interest in playing that 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 values values role, but I, I, the second part of your question, James, I think it's just an exaggeration to say. I think there's an inbuilt condescension to it, if I can 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 call you on that. That states have their interests and that they develop in their own ways, quite separate from what America does. I mean, I, I think the Taliban, I think the Islamic Republic of Iran, I think Egypt, all the other ones you've mentioned. There is there's a role the U.S. has played in stoking some sort of uh, resistance, but fundamentally these are states that have their own histories, their own ideologies, and to say it's always the cause of the United States in some ways is is to insult that cultural integrity. Uh, so I, and again, my my final point on this is that America doesn't exist to make exist in the world to make foreigners happy. The reason it was in Afghanistan. I thought that was, was not, capitalism's whole purpose. Was was, was not to get, make sure that uh, uh, Afghani uh, women got education. I mean, that was a heavy consequence of the 20-year occupation. It was to destroy the base 
a base used by terrorists that attacked the United States. So it, it, we're not dealing with a state which is which is uh, meets any particular template. It has its own interests, and my argument would be they tend to correlate more with the interests of, of, of freedom than they don't. Do they do so perfectly? No, of course not. But I'd rather have too much American power in the world than I would any other ideological rival, from Franco to Stalin to Hitler to Mao. Give me a, a great, incompetent American president any day of the week over the alternative. Well, they're not some great alternatives to offer up there. But I think, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I guess, you know, I think one of the great um, parts of the US in invading not just Afghanistan, but Iraq was, you know, obviously spoke about at the start of the interview interview about the fall of, um, you know, the USSR. And I guess, you know, with that, the kind of end of the permanent arms economy where the US was able to kind of constantly build up arms as were Russia at the time. And, you know, this entry into Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, while there was a um, some other reasons around, you know, stopping uh, terrorism that, you know, it meant that they were able to continue that, which is something that is so ingrained, with, ingrained within so many layers of not just the US government, but, you know, you know, US industries and things as well. And I guess, um, you know, I think we're gonna have to finish up in a moment, but, you spoke about the kind of difficulties of Russia having to contain, um, you know, incursions, I guess, across the border and internally as well, you know, um, that's probably something you could speak about for a long time. And I guess one of those things um, as well was what happened in Kazakhstan earlier um, in the year as well. And I, you know, I guess I wonder what the kind of influence of, you know, that's really um, having to kind of have those conflicts right at the border um, for Russia and, you know, what kind of consequence that might have on the kind of Russian government having to fight on two fronts, as it were? Yes, it's, it's, it's a good question. I think it applies in many similar ways to the the, the, uh, the problem that confronts China. Uh, China and Russia are states with enormous land borders, not least mm. with, with, the, with each other, with a long history of uh, insecurity, vulnerability and war along those large borders. America, I'd ask you to consider, occupies as, about as benign uh, part of the world as you can possibly imagine. Its neighbourhood has friends north and south, that friends to the south would rather like to be in. building a wall on the south? They're northern, <laughs> the north, but highly, it, it's the, the, the remarkable thing about, I think, the, the situation on the southern border is that it's people queuing up to get in, whereas, as, Russian power and Chinese power, it's people queuing up to, to get out. That's the key difference. But my point here is that China and Russia, Americans don't understand, I think, the bounty of security that they enjoy. North and South, friends, East and West, fish. Hmm. You transpose that to, to China and Russia, and they are states beleaguered, confronted on nearly all sides by regimes that don't like it. And that, I think, explains a lot more about the overreaction you get from Moscow and Beijing, from Beijing certainly rhetorically and from the Kremlin, certainly kinetically in terms of its actions in places, places like Georgia and, and Kazakhstan, as we mentioned. Geography still counts, and it's very hard to get around the imperatives that that, uh, that sets up. Hmm. It certainly plays a huge impact on Australian foreign policy yes. and, you know, indeed on, on the COVID response and things yeah. like that as well. 
Hey, thank you, Tim. It's been a wide-ranging discussion, uh, and it's unusual uh, to have some of your positions on 3CR, so it's nice to mix it up a bit. Um, and, yeah, thanks for joining us on Uprise Radio. Well, it's, I, thanks for the invitation, uh, gentlemen. It's, it's great to be part of the intellectual diversity of this show. I look forward to doing it again. Thanks a lot, Tim. Appreciate it. Take thanks, good Tim. care. See ya. Bye. In America, you takes at the wheel. No one needs anyone, they don't even just pretend. Jonas in America. I'm afraid of America. I'm afraid of the world. I'm afraid I can't. I'm afraid of You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.